0: Chapter 16 of Howarth's. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adrian Stevens. Howarth's by Francis Hodgson Burnett. Chapter 16. A Poor Chap as Allah's in Trouble. It was nothing but a chance after all, Murdoch said to Miss French, just as he had said to Howarth it happened that i was the first to see the danger she stood opposite to him upon the hearth in her father's house neither of them had sat down she rested her arm upon the low mantle and played with the flower she held in her hand she looked at the flower as she made the reply you think of it very lightly she said with a rather cold deliberateness he did not regard her furtively as howarth had done Raising her eyes suddenly after she had said this, she met his, which were fixed upon her. "'No,' he answered, "'not lightly at all. It was a horrible thing. I shall never forget it,' she shuddered. "'Nor I,' she said. Then she added, rather in the tone of one reluctantly making confession, "'I have not slept easily through one night since.' "'That is very natural,' he returned. "'But the feeling will wear away.' He would have left her then but she stopped him with a gesture wait a moment she said there is something else he paused as she bade him a slight color rose to her cheek when i spoke she said i did not understand at all what had happened not at all i was stunned and angry i thought that if i was too near you you might have spoken instead of doing as you did then with studied coldness and meeting his gaze fully it would have been a vile thing to have said if i had understood yes he answered it would have been a vile thing if you had understood but you did not and i realized that when i had time to think over it coolly then at first she put to him it made you angry yes i had to run some risk you know and had had the luck to save your life the interview ended here and it was some time before they met again but murdoch heard of her often so often indeed that she was kept pretty constantly before him he heard of her from howarth from the bryleys from numberless sources indeed it became her caprice to make a kind of study of the people around her and to find entertainment in it when she drove through the streets of the little town past the workmen's cottages and the works themselves she was stared at and commented upon her beauty her dress Her manners roused the beholders either to a lavish or grudging acknowledgement. Dirty children sometimes followed her carriage, and on its stopping at any point a small crowd gathered about it. "'She's been here again!' shouted Granny Dixon one evening, as Murdoch took a seat near her chair. "'Who?' he asked. "'Her! That lass of French The one I can't abide! She maks out she's taken a fancy to our Janie. I don't believe her!' At a louder pitch and with vigorous nods that nasty tempered out body cried mrs Briarly, sotto voce get out with thee what art thou saying demanded her guest don't tell me that we were saying now i saw thee i was saying it were a bad day for the wash faltered the criminal and for them as had rheumatis how's how's thine missus that telling a lay was the rejoinder Thou art saying something ill o' me i caught thee at it then going back to the subject and turning to murdoch i don't believe her she cares nowt for nowt at the top of the earth but her sin. she sat here today getting themselves to make fools of themselves because it happened to suit her she's gotten nowt better to do and she wants to pass of the time if there is nowt else at the back of it she's well french all over again she cannot make a fool of me "'He made full enough for thee in his day,' commented Mrs. Briley, cautiously. Granny Dixon favoured her with a sharper glance than before. "'That's saying some ill again,' she crowed. "'How'd thy tongue?' Hey? whimpered the poor man. "'A body dare not say that souls their own when who's about. Who's that sharp and unfair?' A few minutes after, Briley came in. Janey piloted him, and he entered with a smile, at once apologetic and encouraging. He were there, said Janie, but he hadna had out. Browley sidled forward and seated himself upon the edge of his chair. His smile broadened steadily, but he was in a tremendous minority. Granny Dixon transfixed him with her baleful eye, and under its influence the smile was graduated from exhilarated friendliness to gravity, from gravity to gentle melancholy, from melancholy to deepest gloom but at this stage a happy thought struck him and he beamed again how how art thou doin missis he quavered i hope thou art makin thy send comfortable the reception this polite anxiety met was not encouraging granny dixon's eye assumed an expression still more baleful that's been at it again she shouted that's been at it again i'll ne'er get none of my brass to spend at the alehouse. make sure of that mr Briarly turned his attention to the fire again melancholy was upon the point of marking him for her own when the most delicate of tact came to his rescue it is nigh thy brass we want Missus. he proclaimed its its thy company and then clenched the matter by adding still more feebly ay to be sure its thy company is n't it Saren? Uh, I, faltered Mrs. Browley, to be sure. It's o other sort, answered Granny Dixon, in the tone of the last trump, and dunnot yet threep me down as it is. Mr. Browley's countenance fell. Mrs. Browley shed a few natural tears under cover of the baby. Discretion and delicacy forbade either to retort. Their venerable guest, having badgered them into submission, glared at the fire with the air of one who detected its feeble cunning and defied it it was mr brierly who first attempted to recover cheerfulness thus had quality to see thee sarin he ventured how jane told me ay answered mrs brierly tearfully mr brierly fell into indiscreet reverie the chap as gets her he said i got a handsome lass i would not mind Modestly, I would not mind being in any shoes my son. Mrs Browley's smothered wrongs broke forth. Thee, she cried out, thou brazen nout. I wonder that na shan't o' oh, the face talking o' that rude about lady before thy own wife. I wonder thou art not shamed Mr browley's courage forsook him. He sought refuge in submissive penitence, almost lacrimose. I did not mean nout Sarin he protested weakly it were a slip of the tongue lass i'm-i'm not the build as a young woman or that sort ud be like to tack up with thee you were good enough for me want replied mrs Browley sharply a noise on you are settin your weddin wife below other people as if she were dirt ay sir'n the criminal faltered i were good enough for you but-but you-at this point he dropped his head upon his hand "'shaking it in mournful contrition. "'I'm a poor chap,' he said. "'I'm not but a poor chap, as is all as in trouble. "'I'm not the man you ought to had, sir'n.' "'Nay,' retorted <coughs> Mr. Browley, "'thou art not, and it's a pity "'thou did not find that there out thirteen year ago.' "'Mr. Browley shook his head, "'with a still deeper depression. "'Aye, sir'n,' he answered, "'seems like it is.' Did not recover himself until Murdoch took his departure, and then he followed him deprecatingly to the door. Does I think he asked, as that there's true. That what is true. That there the chaps has been talking o'er. I don't know," answered Murdoch. "What have they been talking over? Like they're getting it going among em, as Howarth's going to tack French in partner." Murdoch looked up the road for a few seconds before he replied. He was thinking over the events of the past week. "'I do not think it's true,' he said after a pause. "'I don't think it can be. How is not the man to do it?' But the idea was such a startling one, presented in this form, that it gave him a kind of shock, and as he went on his way naturally thinking over the matter, he derived some consolation from repeating aloud his last words. "'No—' It's not likely. Howarth is not the man to do it. End of chapter 16